Welcome to Simply Listen, Women in Dialogue. My name is Soomin Kim, and I hope you're having a beautiful day. I'm excited to be talking today with pianist Althea Waits, who earned her Master of Music degree from the Yale School of Music in 1965. In 1982, the San Bernardino Sun said, Althea has made the performance of music by Black women composers one of her crusades. I'm eager to talk with Althea about her experiences as a woman of color at Yale and beyond. Her 1993 recording, Black Diamonds, Althea Waits plays music by African-American composers. Her history of an approach to activism and the idea in Althea's words that art makes us fully human. Hi, Althea. All right, Sumin. Thank you guys for inviting me. I'm, I'm really very, very excited to be a part of this. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it's really important for women who come from my generation mm-hmm. to talk about their experiences as well as how a lot of uh, what we went through can also be applied to what is going on now. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned in the intro, you graduated from the School of Music in 1965. And I assume things were a lot different then, but how was your experience at Yale? It's really quite, a, quite an eye-opening experience because Xavier University is a Black Catholic University in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and their mission was to support and to educate people of color and Native Americans. Yeah. And so I didn't have a lot of contact with white students at that time. I was thrown into a very, very different environment. But what was interesting is that even though I, I had certain feelings about, well, am I going to be okay uh, in this situation? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be hard? Are they going to accept me because I'm Black? And, and of course, at that time, uh, there were very few Black women <laughs> in my class. I'm one of two. Wow. <laughs> the other student uh, who graduated uh, in the class of 65 was a, in the musicology program. I see. And then there was a cellist, uh, a Black cellist uh, who I had uh, worked with. So, you know, I'm thinking, how can I fit into that? Mm-hmm. But um, I had a lot of support from my family as I, you know, when I, when I began and uh, they said, okay, don't, don't let that stop you from taking advantage of everything that the school has to offer. You know, you know, you're, you're good, you know, you've got all the tools you need. And, and that support really gave me everything, or at least most of everything that I needed. So um, the environment was really welcoming. I have to say that. Uh, yeah. And, and the fact that, that I was black really didn't make uh, shall we say, a huge amount of difference. I mean, I had to do everything and meet those requirements just like all of the other students. Yeah. And that was one of the things that really was, was so wonderful uh, about all of that. Uh, it wasn't that I was being singled out because mm-hmm. I happened to be a woman of color, but okay, here are the requirements. Here's what you have to do. Step in. And, uh, and that was good because I knew that, that failure, and you've heard this, failure is not an option. <laughs> <laughs> my grandparents and my parents have said, look, you know, you, you have to not let us down. You've got mm-hmm. to really go out and, and do what you need to do. And, and, and they were depending on that, as I was. And so I had that extra burden as well. Growing up in a, in a working class family in the South, I didn't have very much privacy. Uh-huh. But when I um, got to my second year uh, as a graduate student, I was able to have a 
a private room. And that was the first time in my entire life that I was able to have a room of my own where I could walk in, close the door, study, <laughs> do whatever I had to do. And I thought, wow, what a revelation. <laughs> the other part of that too was that the students who were there were also very welcoming. I worked with uh, Aldo Parasot's students in his master classes. Mm -hmm. I also accompanied Broadus Earl's uh, students in lessons. And uh, that was an invaluable experience because it put me in touch with people who were coming from different uh, environments, but I was able to blend in happily. And so by the time I was ready to graduate, uh, I had had what I thought was a really invaluable experience. I mean, I, I, I think that Yale, I don't want to brag about it, but it has open doors. Yeah, uh, it, it uh, really, really uh, gave me opportunities that I probably would not have had. For example, when, when I graduated in 65, I was able to get teaching positions in schools. Uh, I was able to uh, move into a lot of different places that, that probably would not have been available uh, to me. My other experience uh, as a collaborative pianist, I have to say that, that that was one of the very, very important tools in my education, learning mm. the chamber music repertoire. Yeah. Chamber repertoire, learning how to work with musicians from all different uh, stages and the opera uh, repertoire as well. Mm -hmm. So I had all of that. And then when I uh, started my first year uh, at the school, I used to teach at the neighborhood music school in New Haven. And then I had a couple of church jobs, you know, because you do a lot of things to support yourself. I mean, that's, you got to do what you got to do to earn a living. Yeah. So all of those things really helped me to um, get really good opportunities in terms of traveling as well, because when I graduated, I was able to go to Europe on, uh, scholarships. Uh, I, I did a lot of concert tours in uh, Switzerland, in Germany. I mean, over several years and not all at once, but uh, it was an invaluable experience. And I, I think that my education really was one of the most important tools that I can attest to in terms of preparing me for, you know, for that. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about your CD, Black Diamonds. Oh, yes. You know, it's a landmark recording of a lot of African-American composers' works. Yeah, you know, Black Diamonds was really quite a, a, a wonderful experience for me because I didn't know a lot about Florence Price and Raylinda Brown, who was also a, a Yale graduate, you know, she did her dissertation uh, back in the, uh, the 80s, the mid-80s, on the symphonic music of Florence Price. And she was really uh, the one friend that I've had who introduced me to that music. I didn't know, I mean, zero. I, my experience was just non-existent about that. Yeah. But in any case, uh, she sent me a copy of uh, the manuscript to the sonata, mm -hmm. that was composed in 1932. I, I happened to be in, in uh, Switzerland at that time doing a festival. And I learned the piece. And when I came back to the States, um, I was invited to do uh, a concert and to do the, the piece at the University of Michigan. So that was my first experience with that. And then in 1993, uh, later on, I was able to record the music. And, and of course, what I was told is that I was the first pianist who recorded. 
yeah the the, the sonata <laughs> I thought of, wow what a what a what an exciting thing yeah so Raylinda Raylinda Brown really was the catalyst who kind of inspired me you know sadly she's uh, no longer with us uh, she passed away in 2017 but I owe a great deal to her because had it not been for her I would not have known that that music existed yeah. so I did that and then um I had a couple of other uh, things by William Grant Still, another uh, very, very uh, prominent African-American composer who wrote uh, symphonic music, music for the piano, songs, uh, lots of things. Passed away in 1978, but I included that on the album and I was able to get support from one of the uh, foundations out here to do the recording. And I was really excited about it because uh, this was something that was entirely new for me. It was the first uh, recording that I'd ever done in my entire life. Wow. And Cambria Records uh, decided that they, they were interested in that. You know how your name gets out in circulation and people start talking about it. And so I got an invitation from Cambria Records and from the CEO to say, would you like to record this music I said, yeah sure I'm yeah. <laughs> so that's how it happened and uh, it's been performed and uh, i think a lot of that music is still being uh, heard out here on the west coast kusc has been uh, putting uh, the sonata and margaret bond's troubled water based on the spiritual weight in the water on their playlist and i thought oh how nice you know i mean even though it happened a long time ago uh people have been calling me friends have been calling saying by the way i heard your your piece or I heard <laughs> troubled water and I thought oh this, that's cool that's really yeah. nice you know in this last year a lot of people have been trying to acknowledge these um, composers of marginalized backgrounds that have not been a part of music history that we learn so yeah what do you think about this movement to um, give credits to these composers that have been not mm. featured as much I think a part of it, I think a lot of it, though, and you, you probably, I know you're aware of this, a lot of it has been due to uh, all of the upheaval in, in the nation and the lack of, uh, of uh, inclusion mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, of composers who, whose music has simply been rarely heard. I mean, I can go back again to uh, the 60s when no one would have even thought of, oh, Duke Ellington. Yeah, well, we heard about him. You know, he's a very famous composer, jazz musician and all of that, but uh, he certainly was not acknowledged, uh, you know, in the same way that uh, that composers in the standard rep were recognized. Yeah. And um, going ahead and looking back to what's going on right now, and even in the 90s, uh, there has been this whole movement to include and to mainstream the music of, American composers, be they black, white, uh, Asian, whatever, but a lot of that was due to the political situation. Yeah. In the in the, and I think that that really was the catalyst that uh, sparked all of this. Uh, the inclusion of of uh, artists of color, mm -hmm. uh, not just having them relegated to some back alley. I mean, I can remember listening to classical music stations, for example, where you would never have heard anything. Yeah. By a black uh, composer, you simply it, it, it they didn't consider it to be significant. Mm -hmm. But now, because of what has ha happened in the country and around the world, uh, there is this whole idea that you know we need to get past that and try to make some kind of uh, I don't want to call it a correction, but but we that they needed to do something to 
remedy, uh, you know, what had previously not, you know, not been done. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm glad that that happened, but it, I don't think it would have happened uh, were it not for Black Lives Matter, uh, the political situation. And so the idea too, that art makes us fully human. Mm. Well, it's a concept that, that we need to think about, that it's not just something that's uh, supposed to be in some museum yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Uh, your, your music should not be in, in some little, little box somewhere in a museum and then people can take it out and listen to it. No, it's alive <laughs> you know? and it's vibrant and it's going to be performed by musicians who want to make that contribution. That's the whole idea. You want your music to be heard. Other thing I want to say, yeah, uh, you don't you don't have to say in the beginning. Here is X piece by a black. Pe no, you just <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, you are who you are. You're Suman Kim, and and people can can listen to it. It's not that you have to be identified. You simply give the list, and, that, and that's what I think is happening now at a lot of classical music stations out here. I mean, I, they've been playing a lot of the music from the Black Diamonds album, but they just say, okay, here's piece, Althea Waste. Well, they don't know whether I'm black, white, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the music speaks for you and through you. Mm. And, and, and that, that's kind of the approach of, uh, that, I, uh, that I think really should happen. We have got to get past all of this in order to do the art. But I remember talking to Hale Smith, uh, a composer uh, that I met uh, at uh, University of Michigan. We, we did a conference and he uh, did an essay called Here I Stand. And he talked about this very issue of, we need to include hmm. music by black composers, composers of color alongside Charles Ives, you know, Haydn, Mozart, Chopin, whatever you want to know. And it's okay. Yeah. You know, it, it, we, 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 can, we can identify them. It's fine. It really doesn't matter. But his approach was let the music be heard, period. Mm. And, uh, and then if, if people want more information, you say, okay, uh, here's something written by a Black American composer. But I get a little tired, frankly, of the, 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 the separation, if yeah. you, yeah. you know what I mean? What do they think about the music that you've composed? What do they think about the performance? Mm. How do they respond to that? And that to me is the sole criteria upon which you would be, you know, as an artist and as a composer would be evaluated whether or not you're Asian American or <laughs> African American or, or whatever. But we, we have to look at it as a universal thing. You know, your music has to speak and be out there alongside everybody else, everybody yeah. else's work. Florence, yeah. Price, whoever. And, and, and that's, that's the standard upon which you should be uh, appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, you've mentioned, but I do see a lot of tokenizing of works by um, composers of color these days. Um, but yeah, I totally agree that uh, you, we should just let the music speak and um, let the music be sort of not tied to the composer's identity necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think the problem, you know, the reason they're doing that uh, is probably, well, it's like what, what we were saying earlier, it's been neglected. 
Yeah. For so long. I mean, it, it, look at, look at, okay, Black History Month, Black Heritage Month. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's set aside for a celebration of the contributions of, of uh, Black artists, musicians, composers, poets, etc. And a lot of it be, has been neglected. And yeah. so they set, we set aside, okay, time for that. Women's history, yes. Okay, the reason we do that is because, you know, it hasn't been a vital part mm -hmm. of what is going on. And so we set aside that time. And so, and that's important because see, here's the other thing. People will say, I didn't know <laughs> about, yeah. you know, this. Right. And so, okay, so here's how you can find out. Yeah. And, you know, during your time at Yale, a lot of people were fighting for uh, voter rights. Yes. And you've mentioned it last time we spoke, but how did you sort of participate in that movement and how did you use your platform as a musician to fight for equity and justice? One of the things I did you know, when I was there, I played uh, piano and organ at a Baptist church in New Haven. And uh, in 1965, the Voting Rights Act was passed. Mm -hmm. But I used to go out uh, and, and go to informal meetings with the members of, uh, of this church. And I used to talk to them about the importance of being registered to vote. A lot of people were, how should we say, oh, well, I don't know if my vote will make a difference. I mean, mm -hmm. you hear that kind of conversation now, you know, I don't know if I need to do that, blah, blah. I said, yes, but it's important. Yeah. And so I used to uh, talk to them, talk to members uh, at that particular church about the importance of being registered. And uh, we'd give them cards. I would go out uh, and just give cards and say, okay, here's where you need to go to register. But then when I graduated, I did a lot more with that because I, I think, you know, just from your experience and your work there, you don't have unlimited time to go out and do volunteering because you're so busy studying and yeah. practicing and doing, doing, you know, fulfilling the requirements for your degree. It's not like you've got three or four hours in your day where you can go out and, and, and do that kind of work. Uh -huh. uh, and, and so, you know, my time with that was limited to maybe a few things on weekends. But when I graduated, especially in, uh, in Northern Alabama, where I was when I was teaching at Alabama A&M, I did uh, a lot more work with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, mm -hmm. uh, with CORE, the Congress for Racial Equality. And I used to uh, literally knock on doors uh, in some of these little towns that are, that are not even on the map. You know, we'd go out into the homes, uh, talk to people about why it was so important. Yeah. But of course, we also had to deal with the threat of, uh, you know, being watched. Yeah. So it, it wasn't always uh, like a just, you know, you get in your car and you go drive somewhere. I mean, I had to be very careful about my surroundings and uh, whether or not I was being followed, especially at night, this kind of thing. Yeah. And then I had to combine that and juggle that around with teaching uh, during the day. So a lot of the work that I did was limited to weekends. But then when I moved to California in 1975, after leaving the, uh, the East Coast, I was able to get a little bit more involved uh, with that, and especially now because uh, it's it's kind of urgent. Uh, you know, we, we need to get past uh, this idea of voter suppression. But now that I'm out here, I have a different strategy going on. I send out cards. I, I speak to people who share my views or people who don't. 
I talk mm -hmm. to my neighbors on the block, you know, when they're walking their dogs and this kind yeah. of thing. We get engaged in a conversation about uh, what's going on. And so that's that's kind of how I'm doing my part to uh, enact change. Yeah, that's really inspiring to hear um, that you've been really engaged with the neighborhood that you're a part of. Um, I think a lot of students these days kind of feel powerless, you know, especially with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, just recently there was shooting in Atlanta where a lot of um, oh. women of Asian descent uh, were killed. And, you know, with, with everything that's happening, um, as musicians, we kind of feel powerless and hopeless and yeah. uh, feel like we can't directly be of help to the society. And um, I wonder if you can sort of give some advice to uh, people who might be feeling this way. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the hard thing about all of that, I was thinking about all that because it's been on the news and I'm saying, you know, uh, it's very hard to keep going uh, in, in spite of all of that. I mean, uh, it's hard, you know, to say, well, how in the world can we survive mm. and create in this kind of environment? I think you have to start uh, where you are. I have some friends who go into the uh, the missions uh, where the homeless are in the downtown LA and they, you know, they play and, and they talk to, uh, and I've done a little bit of that. I mean, I don't have a, a keyboard that I can move, but what I have been doing is just talking to homeless individuals because they're, they're everywhere. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, my goodness, and, and here we are in the richest country in the world and we cannot get Housing for these people, I, I, I can't believe that. Yeah. But going back to what you were uh, talking about with, with regard to how musicians uh, and artists can, uh, how they can make a contribution, I think a lot of it also has to take place not only through uh, playing and, and doing these uh, informal performances, but in talking about the role of music and art and how it can be used as a tool for changing lives. Yeah, we need to have conversations mm. with our neighbors, and I, I think I don't know. I haven't been back to New Haven in a while, but I would imagine that there are some outlying areas where people don't even know that Yale exists. Yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe they do. They've heard about it. You know, that's that place over there. You know, <laughs> with all those big Gothic buildings, <laughs> they don't know what else is going on. And I, I think the key is really to get involved that way. You know, go to the churches. Uh, particularly uh, black churches and, you know, find out how you can present discussions where you can talk with, uh, with, with people in the congregation and where you can engage them and play as well. And then talk about the need for them to be involved. Yeah. You know, there's a book that I also want to recommend mm -hmm. by Robert Reich. It's called the common good. Uh -huh. And uh, it's, but what I like about what he had to say, because it fits with, with a lot of things that I believe, he talks about the need for people to come together to think in a broader sense about how they can uh, help and support each other. Mm -hmm. We've got to come from, from the me, me, I, I, what's in it for me, and think about what's in it for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You mentioned starting conversations about um, why art is so important, especially in this day and age. Um, and I heard that you've been having webinars for high school students um, about African-American composers. 
And I think that's also a part of kind of uh, starting a conversation about these things. Yeah, that's another thing that I forgot to mention because, you know, that's the next generation. Uh, you know, uh, there are high schools everywhere. Uh, I think even with um, the pandemic, find out how you can connect. Uh, I know that, that schools have different programs, but uh, you probably have heard that a lot of music, art, dance, a lot of this has just been eliminated. You know, people say, okay, we don't have the money to do that, blah, blah. Okay, yeah. so we can't have it. And frankly, a lot of students are in school because music and dance has kept them there. Yeah. That they're thrilled about math and science. <laughs> they have to do it. I, I have the firsthand experience with that. A lot of the students that I taught at Cal State Long Beach, they were there because they were excited about music mm. in addition to everything else. And, and that was the thing that, that got them uh, excited. Yeah, I wanna do that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, that uh, musicians uh, can do is to make direct contact with, make a list of high schools in your area, talk to principals and teachers to see if you can go in to the schools and, and have maybe a day or even half a day where you can talk about what you're doing, mm. but also get them interested in finding new ways to, to uh, think about music and to be involved in it. And, yeah. and, and music programs in the schools, we've got to find a way to fund the arts. And I, and I really think that when this movement to eliminate the arts, I mean, it was a disaster, it was devastating because a lot of students dropped out. Yeah. And, and what's happening now uh, in terms of where I am, a lot of this, we've lost enrollment at Cal State Long Beach because students cannot do the in-person classes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the idea of, let's say, playing in an orchestra, all right, or doing chamber music. Uh, yeah, you can have a virtual experience of it, but it's not the same. Mm. And so there's a, there's a lot of, of real, really serious uh, concerns about what's the enrollment in the fall of 21 gonna be like? Who's gonna come in if they know that they still have to deal with Zoom yeah. and being online. And see, the enrollments have dropped all yeah. across the board in our music program. So we don't know how, you know, nobody knows how that's going to change for composers, for musicians, for anybody who's interested in this. Start with the high schools and the churches. Mm -hmm. Churches are, are usually very conservative, as you know. I mean, they're, you know, they, they have their own little thing going on, and yeah. they're not always open to new ideas. But performances and, and little short conversations can help. Yeah. That's yeah, thank I'm you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's really sad to see these music and art programs being cut in schools, because I feel like music teaches you um, very basic skills such as listening which oh, yes. we definitely need to do more of these days and before i let you go what is something that you care about oh my goodness this is <laughs> kind of hard to say. i care about everything and certainly i care about the environment i mean i i worry about what's happening when i'm not around i mean what's going to happen with climate damage i i don't say climate change as much as i say climate damage because uh a lot of the uh, issues that we're facing have been caused by human beings and not necessarily by the climate. And we, we need to address that. Mm. So I care about that. And I certainly care about uh, 
what's going to happen with the next generation of students and will they be able to survive in a very, very different universe from the one that I was brought up in. The idea of, uh, of making art and making it meaningful to everybody. I, I look at uh, that as, say, music as a tool for peace, for world peace, because mm. that's what we desperately need. I don't see that happening anytime soon, but uh, we have got to look at it uh, that way. And I, I, I wanted to go back a little bit to connect with some other things in, in my previous experience about uh, Holocaust survivors. I've talked to a lot of people who were fortunate enough to have gone through all of that horror and have lived to talk about it. And they talked yeah. about the idea of, of the whole idea of music being used as a tool that encouraged them and gave them the, the strength and the impetus to survive some of the worst experience. And, and, you know, it's happened in the South as well. This is not just about uh, what happened uh, it, it, during that time. Mm. But I do care about that, about the fact that music should be used not only just for the sake of making, making the artist look good, but as a tool yeah. for generating uh, peace. Yeah, yeah, That's thank you I so much. About. Yeah, um, where can our listeners find you and your works? Well, I've got uh, a website and uh, I need to update it, but uh, all of the <laughs> recordings that I've got are on there. It's AltheaWaits.com. I'm, I'm not hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for being a part of this. I had so much fun just hearing your story. Oh, good. Um, you know, for me, it's a, it's important to, to share this because I think people need to know that, uh, you know, there, there are many, many uh, challenges about what's going on now in the world. But I, I feel it's important for everybody to hear the stories of, of women who have been uh, involved in the in the struggle. It's uh, It's not insignificant, but we need yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, YSM community, for simply listening. And join me next week for a conversation with percussionist Jisoo Jung. Until then, be well. <laughs> <laughs>